Michelle, thank you. Thank you for sharing, Michelle. See, she has invoked the allergies in this room. <laughs> uh, thanks for, for doing that. Um, we're uh, in the second of three weeks here where um, I'm talking about, it's called Welcome to Harvest, as you can see up there. I'm just talking about our name. Why are we called Harvest? There's a bunch of different bunch of different names that we could have given our church, a bunch of different names that we could have called ourselves. So why do we call ourselves Harvest? Maybe our names are important. Um, there's a website called howmanyofme.com. I don't know if you've ever been on that. Probably none of you have because it's like it's really lame. But basically what you do, you go to type in howmanyofme.com and then you type in your name and it tells you how many of their, how many of people with the same name as you there are in America. Right? So 323 million people in America. I found out through that website there, there are 46,741 people named John Smith. 46,741. That's a lot of people. There are 107 people in America named Harry Potter. <laughs> you know that? It's really funny. Um, and there are 2,755 people named David Kim. Right? 2,755 people who have the same name as me. That's like 50 on average, 50 some in every state. I think there's more than that. Maybe they're undocumented or they didn't sign up through the, the census. But 2,755 people. Um, this was uh, probably not that many when I was growing up uh, in Virginia, but it was for that reason. That was a very common name. David Kim is kind of like the John Smith of uh, Korean names. And so my friend said, hey, we want to give you a name to distinguish you from the other David Kims in the world. Uh, before, this is way back before the internet uh, phone book. You could look up, there'd be a few David Kims. But So they said, we're going to give you a name that is not Asian. We're going to call you Larry. And so at the, from that point on, people said, okay, this is David Larry Kim. That's his name. And uh, and so it presented a whole another set of problems because people would say, this guy is David Larry. And they would say, are you half? You don't look full Korean. Are you half? Or they would say, are you adopted? Uh, why is your name like that? And so, but my name was David Larry and it avoided the problem of me being confused for other people who had the same name. Because I had a cousin in California named David Kim. Uh, he was from California. He was probably about <clears throat> 10 years older than me. Uh, and I remember because uh, there were pictures, there was a famous story that my parents loved to tell of how I went to Disneyland, not the real one, but the one in California. I was at Disneyland with my family when I was probably about five years old with a bowl haircut and uh, tube socks pulled up to my knees with green stripes on them. And I got lost at Disneyland. For a five-year-old, that's like the nightmare of nightmares coming to life, right? All these like huge animals and they're saying hello to you, but you can't see your parents. It was terrible. I got lost. And I remember seeing pictures with uh, myself, my brother, uh, Mickey Mouse and, and, and David Kim, my cousin. It was actually my cousin's cousin. And so I remember thinking about David. He was like a lot of fun, right? He was everything to me. When I thought about, when I think about now California, he epitomized all of that. Uh, he, was, he was from Malibu, and so he talked, like, uh, he talked like a beach bum. He liked to surf, and he's like, bro, that's not happening, dude. And that's how he would talk, and we would make fun of him. And, and I would ask my brother, why does California David, what's what we called him, California David, why does he talk like that? Like, he sounds like he's weird. Like, he sounds funny. Why is he, can't he talk normally? And he would love to wrestle with us and always clown with my brother and me. And he was, my brother's three years older than me. And so California David was a few years older than my brother. And we would fight and wrestle and all kinds of fun stuff. But everything to me, when I think about David Kim, he was California David. 
And I loved hanging out with him. He was a big, big goofball. There's another guy in my high school group in our youth ministry, and his name was David Kim also. He was a little bit, he was the same grade as me, actually. Uh, he came from Korea when we met him. We said, what's your name? And he said, uh, Devin. <laughs> what kind of name is Devin? Like, dude, and I was mean when I was in high school, so I would, like, make fun of him. Devin, why is your name Devin? And uh, we found out his Korean name was Kim Tebin. So he thought his name was Tebin, but his American name was David Kim. And so we would laugh at him. Man, this guy's, like, so funny. He would wear, he would wear like, these Korean clothes to church all the time when no one wore Korean clothes to church. He would wear uh, flip-flops to church when no one in Virginia wore flip-flops unless you're, like, 80 years old. But he would wear flip-flops to church. And all the boys, man, we were ruthless. We would clown him and say, what's wrong with you, man? Go back to – we would say mean things. <laughs> but uh, – you're not supposed to wear clothes like that. You're not supposed to wear stuff like that. We'd make fun of him, and we would make fun of him because um, even though he had money, every time we went out to eat, he would never bring money. He'd be like, yo, can I, can, I, can, I borrow, can I borrow money for dinner? And we'd be like, dude. And we would have all these names that we would call him that were very mean, mean names for people who <laughs> were cheap, basically. And we'd make fun of him. And, and then it became to the point where anytime somebody would go to eat with us and they would forget their wallet and say, dude, why are you pulling a Debony? That's what we'd call him. You're such a Debony. That's what we would call him, David Kim. Three guys, same name. David Larry, California David, Debony. And all of us had the same name, but we were given other names by which we could distinguish one another. Why those names? Because there was a certain significance to the names that were given. So of all the names that you could call a church, Why harvest? We've been looking at that uh, for the past two weeks. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35, uh, through the end of the chapter and in the first verse of the next one. It's just uh, five verses here. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35, through chapter 10, verse 1. We're going to see what Jesus says about the harvest. This is the word of God for the people of God. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. This is the word of God. Last week, we looked into this passage and and basically trying to see it from the heart beat the perspective of Jesus to see the reality of the harvest. What did Jesus see? The, the, the thesis basically is that unless you see or what you see determines what you feel and what you feel will ultimately determine what you do. And Jesus saw people differently. He saw crowds of people differently than the way most of us do. Jesus looked at people and he saw something different. He saw that there were people who were going to die apart from him. That's what Jesus saw. He saw a a, a harvest that's waiting for a harvest field. And he saw individual people, individual souls who have individual stories beyond what we see. 
So cutting past the, the, the outer mask and cutting past all of the externals, Jesus saw into their heart and he saw the heart of the matter. And he asked us, Harvest as a church, would you see the things that I see? Because if we see the reality of the harvest and the only thing that we can do, if we really see it and feel it, is that we will go forth with the urgency for the harvest. That's what we want to talk about today. In this passage, there are several things, a lot of things we're going to look at next week. We're going to close out this chapter um, or this section, this Welcome to Harvest series by calling forth the workers. But today I want to talk about the urgency of the harvest and how if we see it, then we can't sit still. If we see it, there has to be a sense of urgency within us. What does that mean? How do we live with urgency for the sake of the harvest that Jesus is calling us to? The first thing, the first thing that we see the first thing that we have to understand about this, <clears throat> as, we look in, as we look into this passage, um, let, me see, let, me, let me look at this real quick. I want to see how we, we phrased it here. Um, okay, to live each day and see every person uh, with the end in mind. Okay, live each day and see every person uh, with the end in mind. What does that mean? Uh, I... Tried to pick apart last week and explain how Jesus, when it says when he saw the crowds, they were harassed and helpless. And literally what that means is he saw animals who had been skinned for their skin and then they were left to die. And Jesus is basically seeing people like that. He says, when I look at people, that's what I see. I see if they don't find help in me, then they're just there left to die. And Jesus is saying, would you see that when you look at the people around you? Would you live each day of your life and would you see every person with that end in mind? I, I saw on Facebook yesterday, there's actually a, a post on Reddit. I don't know if you saw it. It's kind of a picture that went viral of a, a cat named Andrew. Anyone see this cat named Andrew? Um, there's a cat named Andrew, he's 15 years old, and uh, um, I shouldn't be smiling or laughing because it's actually very serious. So let me change my tone. It's a cat named Andrew, 15 years old, and the picture was taken in the car where Andrew the cat was sitting in the passenger seat and his paw was holding the hand of the person driving and there was another hand uh, of another person holding the paw of Andrew as well. And so the story goes that Andrew had been with his owner for 15 years, seen him through high school, college, medical school and residency, and the week before or sometime before, Andrew stopped purring as a cat. He stopped making noise, and so the owner knew that there was something very wrong. And so that picture was taken of 15-year-old cat Andrew, the last picture that they would ever take on their way to the veterinarian where Andrew was going to be put to sleep. And the caption, the Reddit post said this, viral picture is causing animal lovers everywhere to hold their animals, to hold their pets a little bit tighter tonight. Why? Because for one moment in time, they're beginning to see the end and they realize that we don't have forever with the pet that we love. Jesus isn't talking about pets here. He's talking about people here. And he's saying, would you see every person that you see with the end in mind? Because here's the end according to Hebrews 9, 27. This is the end for every man, woman, boy, and girl. That just as we are destined to die one time, and after that we're going to stand before the judge, our maker, our holy and perfect creator. 
and stand before him on judgment day. Every single person. I wish that I could tell you that there was such thing as reincarnation. That if you died without knowing the Lord, that you'd be reincarnated based on the quality of life, either into a caterpillar or a Uh, uh, an insect or some kind of an animal or some kind of a human being. But the Bible doesn't tell us that. And I can't give you that false hope. The Bible says that every person who's ever been born into this world, just as we are destined to be born, are, are, are destined to die. And after that, to face judgment. And Jesus is saying, I see that. I see that people are dying. They're going to stand before a holy and perfect judge. And they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he has compassion for them. It says in the deepest part of his bowels, Jesus is moved to do something about it. This is the reality of the harvest. And he says, do you see that? If you see it, there would be a greater sense of urgency if you see the end. I have a, um, a friend. Some of you guys have met him if you were uh, at the, our youth retreat. There's a pastor named Danny, uh, Danny Kwan. He's about 46 years old now, and he's got three sons. He's, one, he's probably the best youth pastor that I know. He's seen two of his sons go through his youth ministry, and a third is either a junior or senior in high school. He took his first one to college last year, Luke. He was a football player, and he stayed pretty local, and so he saw Luke go. But he said, that was very hard for me because all of a sudden, he's not in my, under my roof anymore. He's out to make his own choices. A couple weeks ago, he went out to Chicago and dropped off his second son, Noah, and he said to me, this is the hardest thing, it's the hardest thing. And he's calling me uh, a couple times a week to ask me about churches in Chicago. What do you know about this pastor? What do you know about this church? He's like, I just, I want to, I want to do the best I can for my son. And he wrote something on, on Facebook the other day. Um, it said something like, um, when I took my first son to college, it was the hardest thing I had to do. But now taking my second son, I realize he's far away. This is the worst thing I've ever had to do knowing that a third is going to soon be gone, said, I'm having major regrets that I, didn't, I wasn't a better father and that I wasn't a better model of the love of God to them. Why? All of a sudden, he's changed, man. This guy's a changed man. He's Philly. He's tough. He's rough and tumble. He's got a, a scary-looking beard. He's the meanest person, one of the meanest people I know. Not just he's not going to fight anyone, but he's just a mean person. But he'll text me and say, DL, I miss you, bro. I'm like, what? 14 years of our friendship. You've never said anything like that. I'm praying for you, man. Like, what? I, the only time I've ever taken this guy seriously is when he preaches or when he prays. And even then, I'm not sure that I can take him seriously. But all of a sudden, he's saying things like, I wish that you lived closer to me. We'd be hanging out right now. I'm like, dude, you're like turning all weird on me. Why? Because he's being changed with a vision. He's seen the end. And it's molding him and it's shaping him. And Jesus saying, would you live each day of your life and see each person with the end in mind? That person that you hate. Okay. Get them in your mind at the count of three. Say their name out loud. I'm just kidding. But get that person in your mind. Okay. That person that you hate. One day they're going to stand before God in judgment day. And there's going to be a fork in the road. And it says either they're going to spend an eternity with God in heaven. Or they're going to spend an eternity apart from God. To every single person. And Jesus saying, if I'm not the savior of the world, if I'm not their savior. And they're left to fight for their own righteousness apart from me. We can sing dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. If we have the, 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 the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. But anyone who does it is standing defenseless before a holy God. 
He's saying this should cause and impel a sense of urgency within our hearts. There is a, a Chinese elderly man I heard about who came, he came to know the Lord through a missionary in China. And he was so filled with gratitude and so filled with joy. And he asked this missionary, he said, thank you. And he said to him, did your parents believe in the same Jesus also? And the missionary said, yeah, my parents also believed in this Jesus. And then this elderly Chinese man began to shed tears before he began to just weep before that missionary. And he said, then why did they not come to China and tell my parents about this Jesus that I've come to know? Saying, would you see the urgency with which he calls us to live? That nobody is guaranteed another day but everybody will stand before God on judgment day because this is our reality here. Right? There's an urgency that impels us if we are followers of Jesus Christ. The first, thing, the first thing is to live each day and to see every person with the end in mind. The second thing that, that we see from this text is don't miss the harvest that is before you. Okay, don't miss the harvest that is before you. You know, I wish, I wish that I had known this. I wish that I could have seen the things that Jesus calls us to see today. When I was about 14 years old and my mom called me into her room and she said, David, do you remember California, David? I said, yeah, love that guy. He's awesome. That he died mountain climbing accident. I said, mom, did he go to church? Did he know Jesus? No, he didn't go to church. I'm not sure if he knew Jesus. I said, God, I wish, I wish that I had seen differently. I wish I had seen differently when my best friend Sam called me up when I was 25 years old and said, yo, you remember Debony? Like, yeah, what's he up to? Dude died. What are you talking about? Massive heart failure, age of 25. He just, that's it. Bro, man, that guy, he went to church. He went to youth group with us. He hadn't been to church in a long time. I wish I'd seen him. Not the way that natural eyes see. I wish I'd seen him differently. It's seen him differently. All those times when he was reaching out to hang out with us, all those times when he wanted so much more. Wish I'd seen that. Jesus says, listen, the harvest is plentiful. The opportunities are here. Says, Do you see it? Sometimes we're so hung up on all of the things that we don't see, the people who are not ready, the people who are out there, the people who are the things that uh, the people who are already followers of Christ. And we're so content to hang out just us for no more. We don't want anyone else. It's going to ruin our fellowship. It's going to ruin the dynamics. Jesus saying, no, the harvest is plentiful. Would you see hey, Can you see? Imagine this, okay? Imagine you're a fruit farmer here in Florida. I did some research on this. You're a fruit farmer in Florida, and you plant a bunch of different kind of trees. All around, you've got trees. I found out that strawberry season goes from, like, March to April. Blueberry season goes from April to May. 
Watermelon season goes from June to October. Okay, so we're in the thick of watermelon season. And Asian pear season goes from August until October. So right now, we're in the midst of watermelon and Asian pear season. Okay, so what ought we be, if this is, if this is our harvest, we've planted strawberry trees, blueberry trees, watermelon trees, and Asian pear trees. I don't know if all these things grow on trees, but wherever they grow on. Okay, so we planted all of these things upon which fruit grows. Okay, right now, it's August 20-something, okay? So what ought we be doing? We should be harvesting watermelons and harvesting Asian pears. What should we not be doing? We should not be complaining as we stare at our blueberry and stare at our strawberry tree and say, oh, the harvest, there's no harvest. There's nothing here. There's no fruit here. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for five months for these blueberries to come out and these strawberries to come out. There's nothing. What would you say to a person like that? Because it's not their season for the harvest. But look over here. The harvest is abundant. It's here. If you would just look, so many of us spend so much time focusing on a harvest that is not ready right now, but will soon be. And Jesus isn't saying ignore, neglect those things. No, he's saying be faithful, pray, reach out, but shift your focus to a harvest that is abundant right now. There are countless people throughout the world, throughout the city that are ready that we're overlooking because we're waiting for blueberries and strawberries instead of the harvest that is right in front of us. Do you see? The low-hanging fruit that is ripe. Those people, and maybe you don't go to them because they're annoying. They've been saying, hey, I want to come to church someday. Yeah, okay. I know a bunch of other churches. I want to go with somebody. Well, I'll pray that somebody will take you one day. They're right there. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. It's right here. You're sitting on a gold mine right now. Just open your eyes to see the harvest is abundant and it's right here. This May, my, our four-year-old son, Elijah, turned four. And so he had a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese, right? Loving it, right? Daddy used to work at Chuck E. Cheese back in my old stomping grounds. This was great. Elijah's having a birthday party. One of the things that the birthday boy gets as part of being the birthday boy is he gets to go into the ticket blaster, which is this like cylindrical contraption where you go in there and there's like scandalous amounts of tickets, Right? And then when the door closes and the door locks and the air comes on, and you grab as many uh, tickets as you can, right? Which with one ticket, you can get like nothing. But with 20 tickets, you can get a Jolly Ranch or an Airhead or something like that. But there was inside of that ticket blaster a golden ticket, 10,000 tickets, You could pretty much buy Chuck E. Cheese with that ticket right there. So we're so excited, Elijah. Because a year before when he turned three, he went in the ticket blast and he got scared to death and he started crying. So we had to pull him out. I'm like, Elijah, dude, man, all those tickets that you couldn't even get any. So four years old, Elijah, you think you could do it? I can do it. I'm a go- he went in with his friend Jeremiah, right? Two prophets going in together. So <laughs> Jeremiah and Elijah go in and they're sitting there. And we've got this video recording it. It's like so exciting. I, I'm not high tech enough to show it up here, but you can check it out on Facebook later. The, the lights go, the doors lock, the lights go on, the air comes on and starts flying around everywhere. And Elijah this time, he's matured, right? He's hit like not puberty yet, but he's matured. 
four years old, and he's like loving it. He's not scared at all. He's like seeing all of these things fly around. And the first three seconds, he's like laughing and laughing and laughing. Jeremiah, look, all of these things. And he's laughing. And I'm like, dude, Elijah, hurry up. Time's running out. Get it. Get it. Get it. Grab it. I'm like, yeah, he can't. It's like soundproof. He can't. Elijah, get it. Get the golden ticket. Put him in your shirt. Put him in your pants. Put him. Get him. Get him. Get as many as you can. And then within 30 seconds, it was, uh, and he walked out and he had like five tickets. <laughs> Look, Elijah, what happened? I said, Elijah, come here. Let's go to the bathroom. Let's have a talk. <laughs> I said, great job, Elijah. You're awesome. But I was thinking about that. I said, like, man, Elijah, I'm not blaming him or anything. He's just a kid, but. That was me. I'd have gone for that golden ticket because you're sitting on an opportunity of a lifetime. Right in front of your face. And Jesus is saying, this is you, church. You've got the opportunity of a lifetime. The harvest is plentiful. People at your school who are ready to hear the gospel, ready for an invitation to church. People that you work with, the guy who keeps telling you about his problems. And why do you think he's telling you? What do you think is going on inside of his heart? Maybe he's not ready to receive the gospel. Maybe he's ready to get plugged into a community. Maybe he's ready to go to a church. I'm not saying he has to come to our church. No, there's tons of great churches out there. I'm saying let's seize the opportunity because Jesus said the harvest is plentiful and it's here and you're sitting on it right now. And let's awaken, let's arise, let's go forth because there are people who are ready and waiting. That the harvest is plentiful, but the window of time is closing. Remember one of my, my friends came and he spoke here one time and he was speaking to our youth and he said, God is bringing people all around. And he said, if you don't reach out to them, then God will send them to another group who will take them, who will feel that burn and that urgency within their hearts and we'll bring the hope of Christ to them. And this is our time. This is our time. God is drawing a harvest around us. I'm not saying just the church, but around you, wherever you are. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. Every day they pass me by, I can see it in their eye. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. People need the Lord, and they're calling out for the hope that you say that you have in Christ, you'd see it. You'd embrace it. The last thing, last thing, remember your mission. Remember your mission as a Christian. Remember your mission as a child of God. If you call yourself a Christian, okay, if you call yourself a child of God, if you don't, first of all, we have a great class called Becoming a Child of God. It's going to happen in two weeks where you can learn about what it means to be a Christian. We encourage you to sign up. But if you call yourself a Christian, what that means is that you are now a little Christ. That's literally what it means. It was a derogatory term when the first Christians in Antioch were called Christians. And there's a bunch of little Christs walking around. But it came to be a sign of great pride that we are little Christ to a world who does not see Jesus. He's saying you are little Christ to them. And so what does Jesus do? He goes and he brings the hope of Christ. He builds bridges into the hearts of broken people in order that they might encounter God through him. He says, if you're a Christian, this is what you do. In verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, 
and healing every disease and sickness. What is he saying? Jesus is going everywhere. And wherever he goes, he is teaching and preaching words. He's healing and fixing the broken people. So wherever Jesus goes, he's living a life in word and deed that is pointing to the reality that the kingdom which is invisible is being made visible through my life. And Jesus is saying, as you go into work, as you go into school, you are showing the incarnation of a little Christ to a people who do not see him. This is your calling as an individual Christian. You are showing Jesus to the world. You're saying the things that he says. You're going to the places where he goes. You're doing the things that he does. You're touching the broken people. You're praying for them. You're incarnating the hope of Christ. The apostle Paul would use the same language. He says, church, you are the body of Christ. Meaning when Jesus, who is enthroned in heaven right now, is invisible to the world, how will people see the reality of Jesus through his body, which is his church? And so we go forth as a church, not to be comfortable to pat ourselves on our back in house church and youth ministry and say, look at all the the fine people who have come here, but so that we can go forth into the world and to be as Jesus in all the towns and villages that he calls us to go to. This is what it means. For us to be the people of God. You want a, another example from this text? Here it is. In verse uh, chapters 8 and 9, what Jesus is doing, he's healing people, he's teaching, he's preaching in the synagogues, he's casting out demons. And that very thing that Jesus has done is what he says in chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to do what? To drive out evil spirits just as Jesus did and to heal every disease just as Jesus did and to heal every sickness just as Jesus did. I think this is who we are, church. This is our mission. Okay, your mission is not just for your life. If you're a child of God, you've been enlisted and you've been uh, involved in a mission that is far bigger than our own lives. This is why we exist. Our church doesn't exist so that we can have these, these great groups of people come together and we can give each other big hugs and say, I love you, man. I love you, too. I love that we're loved by God. I love that we're loved by God, too. And, and, and then that's it. It says we gather in order that we would scatter to gather in a harvest so that they, too, can go into the world. Because, indeed, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. We remember our mission. It causes us to live with urgency. Every year we send people to the Dominican Republic and to Ecuador. They don't sleep much. They work their tails off from morning until night, 6 o'clock until about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. They, they get four hours, five hours of rough sleep, and they wake up and they do the same thing again the next day. They get torn up by mosquitoes. They get torn up by the elements. They get torn up by all kinds of things. And they pay in order to do that. Why? Because gladly and joyfully they realize we're not on vacation. We're on a mission. And I think a lot of us think that we're on vacation in this world. We wonder why life is so hard. We wonder why there's attack against us. We wonder why it's hard to fight for the joy of Christ within us. Because we're... In a mission, we've been enlisted. We're not on a cruise ship anymore, right? There are times for us to go on a cruise, but life 365 days on a cruise is not life, not according to the Bible. 
The purpose and the mission of a cruise ship is to maximize the comfort of the people on board, to maximize our pleasure, to entertain, to satisfy, to meet our needs, to meet not our needs, to meet our demands and our wants and our wishes so that on demand, we can eat what we want. We can go where we want. We can gamble where we want. We can watch shows to entertain us and to lull us to sleep. And some of us have gotten off of the cruise ship thinking that we're still on a cruise. How are we supposed to live? Not a cruise ship, but a battleship with a mission. Yesterday, I got a message from uh, one of our uh, former harvest harvesters. Um, his name is Dean. His name is Dean. He was a naval officer. He still is a naval officer. Strategic weapons program. Uh, spends weeks and months on a battleship. I said, can you tell me what life on a battleship is like? He said, a battleship or a warship, as it's better known, always ready and called upon to execute. Has one mission, one flag, one crew, one aim, 300-plus people with various jobs and specialties and expertise with which to execute its mission. On any given day, if they aren't deployed somewhere around the world where they're needed, they're out at sea training and honing their skills to defend the freedom of the world. Everyone takes tremendous pride in what they do. They are separated from their families for months at a time, yet through all the struggles, the sailors maintain their focus on their mission. They work tirelessly day to day, night and weekend to represent our flag, which flies on the mast of a United States Navy warship. Yeah, let's go fight. Go Navy. This is us, man. This is us. We're on a battleship called the church and we're on a mission to bring the kingdom of God, which is invisible and make it visible in this world. Our flag is a cross that tells us everything that we represent and the flag that bears our identity tells us that this isn't a cruise ship. It's not an easy, comfortable life. The cross never called us to a life of comfort where we can use prayer simply to ask for more room service delight as we sit in our five-star hotel, Piper says. It's a wartime walkie-talkie where we call our commander-in-chief for reinforcements for battle. It was because of the sake of the mission that Jesus, who had everything, gave up everything and became nothing to come to this broken battleground of earth leaving behind everything that was glorious and glamorous in order to see people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The Bible says from the moment he knew his eyes were resolutely set on his mission, Jerusalem, the cross, that's his mission. My life is going to end in the most torturous of deaths that the world has known, not only meant to kill, but more importantly, meant to prolong suffering. Cicero, the historian, said that rarely would a person die before 36 hours of suffering. And Jesus knew that. Not only in his death, but in his life. He was born not in Winnie Palmer Hospital, not in water in a, with a beautiful doula or midwife. He was born in a, a manger, a feeding trough, for animals, because nobody would welcome him into their home. And as 
broken as his birth and as broken as his death, all of his life was lived amongst the broken people because he wanted to show the reality that I'm building a bridge into the heart of a perfect father with broken humanity and it would come through my body, broken for you on the cross. No place for the son of man to lay his head. There was no comfort that Jesus associated with himself. He refused and he rejected those things because there was a mission greater than his own. And for the sake of you and for the sake of me who are broken, harassed, and helpless, sheep without a shepherd, Jesus paid the ultimate price in dying on the cross to forgive us our sins. He became robed in the sinful garments that we earned so that we could be clothed in robes of righteousness to stand faultless before our God and our King come judgment day. This is a message that has changed our lives. And it's through this message that people like Michelle can say, the one thing I know, I don't need to know many other things, but I just need to know one thing, that I'm so loved by God. It's changed her. It's changed me. It's changed countless lives. But the harvest remains plentiful. Because would you see that urgency? Your flag is the cross for the sake of the harvest. Let's run into a world that is in need. Let's pray. Feel the tug in our hearts. Sometimes we have to feel the burn in our pants. Lord, help me to see every person to live every day with the end in mind, to not coast through life. So much more that I've been called to. Maybe the reason why my life is so empty and and lacking joy is because I've wrapped my life around the biggest thing in my life, which is me, and that's not big enough to sustain the lasting joy of living for the sake of a mission far that far outlasts my life. We were made for eternity, my friends. And it's when we invest in eternity that we really begin to experience the life and the joy. When we let go of ourselves and we see beyond our lives for the sake of a purpose bigger than our own. This is what it means to live. This is what it means to live. When we join in the mission of God, black and white becomes color. All that is dead becomes life. But again, begins with us knowing the love of God, being overwhelmed with that love, understanding that Jesus came for you when you were the harvest field. Maybe some of us in here still are the harvest field. We're waiting, we're looking, we're longing for a Savior. Jesus says, you can find life in me. You can find that now. I want to give an invitation in just a minute if there's anyone in here who feels like I need Jesus in my life if today's the last day of my life and I were to die I don't know where I would spend eternity I need Jesus to save my life in a minute I'm going to ask if there's anyone like that just to quietly where you are just raise your hand you don't need to stand or anything else but in a minute I want you to think through that and pray right now to the Lord God if you're asking me to do this. Lord, make it clear to me. For others of us, since you were the harvest field and you put your trust in Christ, there's only two options. Either you're part of the harvest field or you're a harvest worker. Maybe we've been asleep in the fields. 
comfortable in the fields. And Jesus is calling us to awake with a new urgency. Let's respond to the call of God. Lord, I want to go. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. So wherever we are, let's take a minute to pray. And after a minute, I'm just going to give an invitation for anyone who wants to put their trust in the Lord Jesus where you are. Just raise your hand and we'll pray together, all of us from here. I'm not going to put anyone on the spot or make anyone feel uncomfortable. But let's pray for a minute right now. Say, Lord, what, is you, what are you calling me to do for my next step? What is the next step for me? Let's pray together for a minute right now and then I'll come back and give an invitation for us. to pray with all of our eyes closed if if you're here whether you're a 6th grader or whether you're 20, 30, 40, 80 years old the reality is that none of us is guaranteed another Sunday let alone another day let alone another hour if you feel like God has been speaking to your heart whether you've been coming to church all your life or today's your first time you feel like you know what I need Jesus in my life I want what Michelle has. I want what others have. I want what Jesus promises to me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I know I need something in my life. I need someone to fix my brokenness. If that's you, um, from wherever you are, you can just raise your hand. It's your way of saying, yeah, I need Jesus in my life. I want Jesus in my life. Thank you, sister. Yeah, yeah, see. Praise the Lord. There's a couple brothers in here. At least uh, one sister. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Thank you, sister, in the back. We see you also. The harvest is plentiful. And God is calling us to embrace him today. If you need Jesus in your life, there are others of us in here who um, I think there's a handful of us right now but for the for the rest of us if you want to pray this prayer in your heart the reason I ask you to raise your hand is so that we can follow up with you after so that we can help you to grow and to appropriate all the promises of God of salvation of life but for others yeah for all of us in here I'm just going to pray this prayer and I ask that you I'll pray it slowly so that you can repeat it in your heart. But with faith and with trust in the Lord Jesus, this is what the Bible teaches us. You can make this prayer your own. Father in heaven, I confess that I have lived without you. I've done some really good things, but I've also done some really bad things. 
and the worst things that I've done deny me from being perfect and even the good things that I do keep me from you if I think that my morality can get me into heaven. Christianity is not about being good. It's about being surrendered to you. It's not about making bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. I believe that Jesus lived for me, that Jesus died for me, to forgive me of my sins by taking my place. I believe that Jesus rose again so that I might have life if I put my trust in you. So Lord Jesus, be my savior, be my master. Take my brokenness and give me life. Help me to be the son or daughter of God that you want me to be. I love you, Jesus, because you have loved me first and shown that at the cross. Father in heaven, we pray for those who made that confession of faith. Whether it was the first time or the manyth time, we pray that somewhere in our hearts it would register deeply and that your Holy Spirit would invade our hearts and would live in us so that we would be made new from the inside out. Pray that we would, you would light a fire within our hearts so that we could not help but to take this message to those in need, that we would not be silent, that we would not sit still, that you would help us to live with urgency, to pray, to give, to go, to share, in order that hope would be found in you. We thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you... Um...